Welcome to the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. We're getting ready to have an old-fashioned line-on-line, precept-on-precept study of God's Word to search out those deeper truths and gain a greater understanding of the Bible. We would love for you to join us today as we dig in and learn what it is God would truly have us to know from the letter that He wrote to us. Hello, God bless you, and welcome into the study today. We're very glad to have you. We're going to be starting a new book, a new series of books. We're going to get into the Minor Prophets. Um, we're going to begin with the first book of the Minor Prophets, which is Hosea. Now, the Minor Prophets are called that not because their prophecies are any bit minor. They're very crucial, and they're very, it's like reading tomorrow's newspaper whenever we work through these. The reason why they're called minor is because they're shorter books. They're, the prophecies are shorter, and you know, such as Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, which have many, many chapters. These minor prophets only have a few. So as we get into this, this first study, whenever we get into Hosea, we're going to kind of take a jump back into Kings to understand the history behind what's going on and to really pull out what God would have us to know in this prophecy. Also, we are going to be translating these names because in this book, these names are very important to understand the translations of them, not just the transliterations. So let's just go ahead and dive right into it. Hosea chapter 1, verse 1, we ask for clarity and understanding from our Father in Jesus' name. And verse 1 reads, The word of the Lord came unto Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Now, you see right there we have Judah mentioned and we have Israel mentioned. The reason for that, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 12. We'll cover a little history to understand why we have Judah and Israel. And this really... This is something that many people overlook, that gets overlooked very often, but it's very important to know. All right, so in chapter 12 of the first Kings, what has happened is that Solomon has died, and Rehoboam, his son, has become the king. So now chapter 12, verse 1, And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in uh, in Egypt, that they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and and spoke unto Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make thou the grievous service of thy father, and his heavy yoke which he put upon us lighter. And we will serve thee. You see, during Solomon's reign, there was a lot of building. There, it was peacetime. There was no, there weren't any wars to speak of, and so they had time to build. And what Solomon did was, he would pull, they would go in rotation basically, and he would pull the men from the different tribes into Judah to build up that kingdom, to build up his, you know, his palaces and his houses and all this stuff. And what they're saying here is, you know, hey, it's really nice here. Y'all, you've got it made. 
And, you know, you've been working this really hard. How about you let us go home and work on our stuff? You know, it's, you've got everything you need. <clears throat> Verse 5, And he said unto them, Depart yet for three days. This is Rehoboam. Depart yet for three days, then come again unto me. And the people departed. And King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon, his father, while he yet lived, and said, How do ye advise that I may answer this people? Now, see, he's going to the wise men here. That's a good thing to do. Verse 7, And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and will serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. What he's saying is, we've worked them so hard, go ahead and let them go. And if you let them go, you'll earn that respect. You'll gain that trust and that respect from them, and they'll do anything you want them to. But you got to show them respect first. Verse 8. But he, being Rehoboam, forsook the counsel of the old men, which they had given him, and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him and which stood before him. Now, he's got his, basically, you could say he's got his little college buddies here. And, you know, that the wise men already put their two cents in. And, they, and it was wise. You got to remember, they served with Solomon, so they served with the wisest. Solomon was blessed with wisdom from God. But now he's turning to his, his, his college buddies here. Let's see what they say. Verse 9, And he said unto them, What counsel give ye that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Make the yoke which thy father did put upon us lighter? And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy. But make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shalt thou say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. Now that, that's just dumb. What he's saying right there, what they're telling him to do is basically say, look, I'm the king, I make the rules. Y'all don't tell me what to do. Now I'm fixing to, I'm, I'm, I'm fixing to show y'all what power is. Just like you, well, verse 11. And now, whereas my father did laid you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father has chastened, uh, ch uh, chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Now, this, this scorpions, it's a knotted whip and basically like a cattail or a cat of nine tails. And instead of just whipping, that did some damage. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had appointed, saying, come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people roughly and forsook the old man's counsel that they gave him. Obviously, none of that wisdom from Solomon rubbed off on his son here. And the king answered the people. Oh, we got that. Verse 14. And spake to them after the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, and I will add to your yoke. My father also chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Wherefore, the king hearkened not unto the people, for the cause was from him the Lord, that he might perform, saying, which the Lord spake to Ahijah, the, Shil the Shilonite, unto Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. 
So when all Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion have we in David? Now this is not the Judeans. See, David was of the tribe of Judah. And these are the other tribes. They're saying, you know, we don't have any portion in this. We're building all your stuff up here in Judah, but we don't get any of this inheritance. Our land is with our tribes. Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse, which is David, to your tents, O Israel. Now see to thine own house, David. So Israel departed unto their tents. So what they pretty much what they said was, all right, I'll tell you what. You want to be rough on us? Build your own stuff. We're done. They drug up on them. They quit. They said, you got it. You handle your own business now. Verse 17. But as for the children of Israel, which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. This is where the tribes have split. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the tribute. He was trying to get him some tax money collected here. And all Israel stoned him with stones that he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam made speed to get him up to his chariot to flee to, to Jerusalem. Had to get out of there quick. Verse 19, So Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. And it came to pass, when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again, that they sent and called him unto the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. And when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin. There you go. You've got these two tribes, these two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin. They, they bordered each other, and Benjamin decided to stay in there with Judah. And hundred fourscore thousand men, chosen men, which were warriors to fight against the house of Israel to bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. So they were trying to, these two tribes were going to come together, build their armies up, and go out and take back the ten northern tribes. That was their plan. Verse 22. But the word of God came unto Shimeiah, the man of God, saying, Speak unto Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and unto all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and the remnant of the people, saying, that remnant of the people, that's some of the Levites are in there, and you naturally some other folks from the different tribes were scattered around in there living. They had made a house for themselves down there. So that's that remnant. Verse 24, Thus, say, thus saith the Lord, You shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Return every man to his house, for this thing is from me. Not saying, I'm in control of this. I'm doing this for a reason. They hearkened therefore to the word of the Lord and returned to depart according to the word of the Lord. Now, they, they got them some wisdom right there. They decided to go ahead and listen to God and turn back around. Verse 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein and went out from thence and built Penuel. Now, this built Shechem, it had been partially destroyed or it had been run down. And so it, basically what he did is he rebuilt it, refortified it. Verse 26. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, 
Then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord. Lowercase l there, that being the king of Judah. Even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So he's kind of got it in his head. You have three feast days in, in, at this time. Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tab Tabernacles. And at those three feasts, it was their duty, or it was their, uh, what you were supposed to do, their duty, I guess, that all of Israel would come to the temple and offer their sacrifices to God. And, that, and it was just on those three feast days. And what he's saying is, you know, if they go back down there, they might decide, you know, we had a, it was a lot better off whenever we were in here with Judah, so we may as well just go ahead and come on back. Verse 28, whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold, uh-oh, and said unto them, it is too much for you to go to it to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Well, that's a no-no. Now he has started idol worship because he's so scared of the people going and worshiping God in, in Jerusalem that they might decide to go back to, to being under King Rehoboam that he said, all right, let's just throw that all out the window. Let's worship some cows. Let's do that. All right, verse 29. And he set the one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. And this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one even unto Dan. And he made an house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not the sons of Levi. You know, God ordained his priests. He ordained the, the family of Levi to be priests. And what Jeroboam did here was just walked out there and said, hey, who, who wants to put on some robes and, and act holy? Who, who will come out here and give us a good sermon about how these cows you know, brought us out of Egypt and, and then we'll do sacrifices to them. Who wants to do that? And just took any offering, any, any, anybody, any volunteer. Verse 32, And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month. Now, you know, God is the one that ordains the feast, not man. On the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah, and he offered up upon the, upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves, that he had made, and he placed in Bethel the priest of the high places which he had made. Notice that, which he had made. God didn't put these there. Verse 33, So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart, and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel. And he offered upon the altar and burnt incense, now, this would have been the Feast of Tabernacles, roughly mid-October to the 1st of November. All right, we're going to move back over to Hosea, but that was, that was a very important piece that you need to know that will make Hosea more understandable. All right, so back in this book of Hosea, we're going to begin in verse 2. 
The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. The Lord said to Hosea, Go, take thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, this being idolatry. Hosea is a prophet to the ten northern tribes. And as we just read, the ten northern tribes broke away from Judah and Benjamin and began idolatry. For the land hath committed great whoredoms departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer. Gomer means completion. That, and basically filling up the measure of idolatry here. The daughter of Diblaim. Now Diblaim means double cakes of figs. And you can look at that as basically sensual pleasure. Like they were just chasing the lusts of their own hearts. You can also take that as the two baskets of figs that you read of in Jeremiah chapter 24, I believe it is, that you've got one batch of one, one basket full of rotten figs and you've got another basket of good figs and they're put together. And that's where we're at. That's the parable of the fig tree. That's where we're at right now is that you've got evil and good living within the same spot. So that's kind of the symbolism behind that name. All right, moving on. Which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel. Now Jezreel is a play on, uh, on Jerusalem, on that name. And it means two things. It means may God scatter and then it also means, may God sow, to sow or to scatter. And what's going to happen is that, well, we'll move on because it explains itself. For yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. So he's going to break up Israel. He's going to scatter them. Basically, what we're getting ready to see is that the Assyrians going to come in and take them captive. And they're going to be scattered and they're going to migrate north over the Caucasus Mountains and then later into Europe, even across the Atlantic into America and Canada. And then they are going to be sowed in these different countries. Verse 5, And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel, because they left God. Now 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 11 gives us that day. Verse 6, And she conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah. Now, Ruhamah means beloved. Lo means not. So he said, Call her name not beloved. For I will, have no, will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. He's fed up with their idolatry. He's fed up with looking at his children going over here and here again, messing with these golden calves. You know, you'd think that they would have learned from Mount Sinai whenever Aaron told them, here, let's, let's throw, all your, throw all your earrings, throw all your jewelry in the fire and out popped this calf. And we went to worshiping this calf because the fire made it. Well, that made God real mad, and they ground it to powder, and they had to eat it. You would think they would remember that. But as God would say in Jeremiah chapter 4, my children are a little sottish. It means they're a little, little stupid. They kind of, it's kind of a, 
it's a word that kind of means you're dumb as dirt. Verse 7. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. Now, where is this about? Second Kings chapter 19, verse 35. The Assyrian came in, and he got right to the, to the gates of Jerusalem. He's right out there, and he was telling Hezekiah, he said, look here, I know you worship that God, but I'm greater than he is. I'm going to come in here and take over. It, it, there's nothing he can do for you because I'm the greatest king there is. And Hezekiah went and laid the letter out in the temple and said, God, this is the blasphemy that he's speaking against you. And God started a rumor within the tribe, within the, the Assyrians. And they turned and left. And in that night, the angel of the Lord came and slayed 180,000, if I remember right, that put an end to that. They didn't take Jerusalem. And Nebuchadnezzar came in and did, but the Assyrian did not. Verse 8. Now, when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bare a son. Then God called his name Lo-Ami. Again, Lo is not. Ami means my people. For ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Verse 10, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, ye are the sons of the living God. That's quoted also in Peter chapter 2, verse 10. Now, one thing to point out here, the world today, aside from a few scholars and a few, you know, just a few out there. The world today views Israel as the country that's over in the Middle East right now. The thing about that is that you can count those people. You can count how many are in that country. God said it would be like the sand of the sea, which can't be measured. And as we just read in Kings, that Benjamin and Judah stayed there. So you've got two tribes over there and a little remnant and a little bit of Levites that are in Israel right now. And the other ten tribes are scattered throughout the world. So much so that they can't be numbered. So that prophecy has come to pass. Verse 11. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head and they shall come up out of the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel, that planting. And that one head is going to be Christ. At that, in that day, they will all come together and they will all be worshiping the true God. Verse 2, say unto your brethren, I mean chapter 2, verse 1. Say unto your brethren, Ami, my people. And to your sister, Rohama, which is the pitied one, the beloved one. Verse 2, plead with your mother. Plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms, or her idolatries, out of her sight, and her adulteries from between her breasts. That means take that idolatry from out, out of her heart. Get, do away with that. 
lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day she was born and make her as a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. What, what is that thirst? That's the lack of that living water. It's the lack of knowing Christ. Whenever they're in idolatry, they're not receiving that living water. They're not receiving that bread of life that, that quenches that hunger because they're over here dancing around some cows. Verse 4, And I will not have mercy upon her children, for they be the children of whoredoms. As long as they stay in idolatry, as long as they stay against God, he won't have mercy on them. But the first one to turn to God, at that moment, that very instant, they become Ami. They become Ruhama, beloved, his beloved people. Verse 5, For their mother hath played the harlot. She that conceived them hath done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, mine oil and my drink. That's her little gods. That's her out here playing church, not really getting into the word, but playing around with the word. And you know, the thing is, it don't take a golden calf to be idolatry. One of these days, Antichrist is going to show up looking to be so, oh, it's just going to look just like Christ, what we would picture Christ to be. And all of a sudden, all these folks that don't understand that Christ doesn't come into the seventh trump, that hadn't quite gotten around to reading God's word, studying in God's word, that just don't quite understand that Satan's not going to come back with horns and a pitchfork and, a, and hooves and look like this crazy thing out of a cartoon. That he's going to come looking just like Christ? They're going to think he is Christ? That's idolatry. Whenever, whenever they turn and they go to worshiping him thinking they're doing what's right, that's idolatry. Even more than that, just to twist the word a little bit, just to cause the word to be twisted and to mislead causes those who are misled to turn to idolatry. Even though it looks good and it sounds so holy, if it's not the word of God, then it's not of God. And if you're worshiping something that's not of God, it's idolatry. Verse 6, Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. You're going to be lost. You know, God says that he will put a place, if you want to believe in a lie, he will put on you strong delusion. Basically saying, hey, you think you're going to pull a ripcord and fly away before the Antichrist gets here? Well, if you want to believe that, well, here we go. You just fall in wide open and believe that. Verse 7, and she shall follow after her lovers, her little gods, small g, but she shall not overtake them, and she shall seek them, but shall not find them. They're always going to be just out of her reach. Can't ever quite attain what she's looking for there. Why not? Because they're sticks. A golden cow ain't going to do nothing for you. A stone that you set up ain't going to do nothing for you. God created those things, and then it's just amazing how, you know, as you look through the Bible, that God's people would 
worship the things that are created instead of worshiping the creator. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better with me than now. For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. What he's saying is, I gave her all these things. And she turned right around and used them for idol worship. Never gave God thanks. Never even, get, never even looked at him. Turned it right around and worshipped her little golden calves. Therefore will I return and take away my corn in the time thereof, and my wine in the season thereof, and will recover my wool and my flax, given to cover her nakedness. He said, that's fine. You, you don't want to go with me? That's cool. You got it. And now will I discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and none shall deliver her out of mine hand. I will also cause her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and her solemn feasts. All these idolatrous things over here. He's going to stop all that. And I will, I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, whereof she hath said, These are my rewards that my lovers, that my little gods, small g, have given me. And I will make them a forest, and the beast of the field shall eat them up. Listen, you want, you want to play church? You want to worship other gods? Watch this. He can give blessings. He can also pull blessings. Verse 13, And I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them, and she decked herself with earrings and her jewels, and she went after her lovers and forgot me, saith the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. That's comfortably. That means he's going to speak to her heart. You know, sometimes we in the flesh were hard-headed. And every once in a while, you know, we kind of got to get the rug pulled out from under as far as to see, oh, man, you know, we, I thought we were standing firm on the foundation. And, and uh, turns out we were going down a slippery slope. Verse 15, and I will give her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. Is when they turn back, the blessings will start flowing again. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Eshai, and shalt call me no more by a lie. That means my husband, not my Lord. He said, you call me at that point my husband. That's that marriage of the Lamb. Verse 17, for I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, all these, idol, all, all these idols, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day will I make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven and with the creeping things on the ground. And I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth and will make them to lie down safely. That thousand years, that millennium, it's going to be peace, all peace. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. That unmerited favor, that, that, that love, that in the flesh, you know, we just, 
We hadn't done anything to deserve it, but he loves us because we're his children, and all he wants in return is our love. All right, we'll pick it up in verse 20 in the next study. God bless you. Y'all have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Humans Under Grace Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions that you'd like answered on the podcast, you can write to us at Humans Under Grace, P.O. Box 1467, Tatum, Texas, 75691, or you can email us at questions at humansundergrace.com. Thank you, and God bless you.